I know the second that boy was in heaven, he knew everybody he was having a blast and he is healed. He is healed. He is whole and he wants us to live the best life we can until it's time for us to be united again. Welcome to the Juggling the Chaos of Recovery podcast, where we focus on health and wellness and overcoming all types of addictions. You're in the right place if you're a mom, dad, sibling, or caregiver who has a loved one who is or was struggling with an eating disorder or any other kind of addiction. In a time where everything seems heavy, I'm here to bring you a very real yet lighthearted take on what the heck we're all supposed to do with our lives while we care for our loved ones who are struggling. One thing holds true throughout it all. You can't juggle the chaos without smiling, at least a little bit. Well, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Moira Gorski. So glad that you came back to listen today and just grateful for all of you who um, continue to share these podcasts with others. You know, really my hope is to have others know that in the struggles of life, in the chaos of life, um, you're not alone. There are many others that are right there with you or have been through what you've gone gone through and um, have come on out on the other side. So today I am bringing a friend of mine with actually um, she's the mother of one of my previous guests as well. Um, Wanda Hart is is joining me today and we're going to have a talk about addictions and about our children struggling and um, how we take care of ourselves during that time and really just the truth about uh, struggles in addictions. And um, it's not always easy to talk about, but I'm really honored that uh, Wanda said that she would join me today for this discussion. So welcome to my podcast, Wanda. Thank you. Thank you. It's an honor to be here with you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It has been, I've met Wanda through just as I met her, her daughter, her beautiful daughter, Jackie. Um, I've met her through my wellness business with Shackley, that we are both partnered uh, with that company and sharing the stories of um, hope and wellness with others. And, um, and, um, and again, we've, I know Jackie's had her struggles. We've shared her story here and I know your son has had his struggles. So I just wanted to start at the beginning uh, with you as I do with all my podcasts is just for you to share your story, your story with your son, you know, share what you are comfortable with. I know this may not be an easy discussion for you to have with me, but just share what you'd like um, to share as um, you know, you kind of open up about your, your son's struggles. Okay. Okay. Um, well, my son, Jonathan was an amazing little guy, but always very energetic and rambunctious. He came into the world at nine pounds, eight ounces. So ended up with my first C-section and only C-section with him. Um, he was very sweet and very loving, um, but never afraid of anything. He was willing to try anything, to do anything. So you always had to keep an eye on him, but he was very affectionate and, um, and very sweet and mischievous all at the same time. So if anybody has a kid like that, and um, he started struggling in school with, we found out he was dyslexic and I am also dyslexic. And I knew he had something going on, but I wasn't, it wasn't exactly the same way mine was, but I knew it was something. But because his IQ was incredibly high, 
he kept passing all these tests that they would give him. And then finally, though, they realized, yeah, he's ADHD. And um, because he's the only kid I know that back in the day when he played Nintendo and it was stuck to the machine, he was up and down and jumping and everything. He literally did get exercise playing video games. (laughs) And his teachers would say, too, like if somebody dropped a pencil on one side of the room, he's up there picking it up and giving it to him. I mean, he just you know, had to be kind of moving all the time. Well, having my background in nutrition, you know, we really tried to monitor his diet and everything because I didn't really want to ever put him on anything. And um, then the school system kind of guilted me a little bit into putting him on Ridlin. And I did for about six months. And he didn't like the way he acted. It took his little personality away because he was just this fun, rambunctious little guy. And now he's just kind of lethargic and just, and and he'd even tell me, I just don't like the way I feel. So I took him off and I'm like, you know, what's wrong with being a little, you know, hyper in there. I mean, they say those type of people make good jet fighter pilots because they, it takes me a long time to make a decision. You know, it's, I don't handle traffic well because I'm like, ah, and he could very quickly, you know, make decisions and stuff. So, I mean, I, And that kind of is the beginning of, I guess, a self-esteem issue with him because he knew he was really smart, but yet school told him he wasn't. I mean, even somebody just to interject, I mean, some I know that like Ty Pennington, if you got you know who he is, you know, with those home improvement show. I mean, he's ADHD. He's been open about that. And he's, you know, I thought about him. He's energetic and all that, but he's made. He's become quite successful with that. So, yeah, you want to keep that personality instead of taking things that damper our dampen our personalities. Yeah. 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 So but I guess it affected his self-esteem some. And and like I said, too, he was he was always willing to try or he, he wasn't cautious about things like he is that kid that if somebody said, hey, let's get an umbrella and jump off the roof and see if we can land in the pool. He'd be, yeah, let's do it. You know? So he, he definitely grew some gray hairs on my head. Um, and then I guess the first time he actually really tried a drug was sadly in fifth grade. He was at a friend's house who had a teenage sister who said, Hey guys, you want to try some pot? And again, because he's that kid that would be like, sure. Um, he tried it. I don't, he didn't, he said he didn't really care for it or not, but it was a curiosity thing. And it kind of opened a, a curiosity for him. And then kind of fast forward when he got into high school, he was always a very, very good athlete and very charming, very handsome. He, um, like I said, I mean, he had a lot of friends but then school always told him, gee, you're not smart. But he made the varsity football game at a very large high school his freshman year, which is hard to do at this high school. But then because his grades weren't good, they told him you can't play football next year. And that was very frustrating to him. And, you know, during that time, I'm sure he was dabbling with different things and stuff. You know, as a parent, you know, you're always kind of last to know these things. And um always suspicious, but you just don't know, you know, if they're what they're doing or anything. Cause I know he, you know, loved to be out and about with friends, but again, that kind of hit his self-esteem again. It's like 
So the one thing I'm good at, they're telling me I can't do. And so they even, then I pushed it more about his learning disabilities and they did bring in the big Palm Beach County psychologist who said, wow, this kid is severely dyslexic. I'm surprised he's made it in school this far. But he liked school. He liked people. He liked going. He just struggled with his disability was in the written language. Like he could verbally tell you, oh, he memorized so many things and he knew so many facts and figures, but he could not get it from his brain onto paper at all. Then it looked like a kindergartner was trying to write something. But it was kind of too late. He had kind of given up. He was starting to hang out with the wrong people. And he started self-medicating with, I don't even know what all, with, with different things. I think he, I don't know. I don't really know. Because um, I, I mean, I'm the type of person who, I won't even take aspirin if my head's about to fall off. I mean, I'm, I'm very, it's very hard for me to even take anything. I, you know, have to really be feeling bad. And we even had this discussion before um, because I'm like, John, I don't understand why, why you like this so much. I don't like to feel different. You know, I don't like it. And he's like, I can't explain it to you, mom. It's just an amazing feeling. And I'm like, I had a C-section with you and I wouldn't even take the painkillers because I was afraid it would hurt you. And, um, and here he is hurting himself. So as a parent, you know, you're frustrated with that. And of course, you're always trying to think, I should have caught things sooner. Why didn't I? And you, you know, lay a lot of, you know, guilt. I should have been stricter. Um, I should have been this. I should have been that, you know, and, and you just don't know. I mean, at the time as a parent, you're always doing the best you can with the information you have. And it's a new territory because, you know, I just never thought I'd be dealing with something like this, even though addiction runs my husband's side of the family. His father was an alcoholic. And so we know that gene is there because it is a gene. Right. And even though I've never done drugs or, or anything, not never done anything. I mean, as a teenager, <laughs> I tried pot a few times, but um, I'm more have an addiction with food. Like if I get upset or depressed, I medicate with food. Well, he was just medicating with other things. And then he um, just got more and more frustrated. And in his own testimony that he would give, too, it was like, all of a sudden you're doing things you never thought you would do ever. It's taking you down a path you never thought you would go. And he goes, if you ever told me that I'd be doing heroin, I'd tell you, no way. That's one thing I'll never do. And then he was. Mm -hmm. And... um, First time we knew he was using heroin, he almost died right here in our house. Um, It was early one morning and my husband was getting ready to leave for work. And all of a sudden I heard him yell, Wanda, call 911. And I had no idea what he was talking about. I thought maybe he was hurt. So I dialed 911 as I'm, you know, trying to find where he is. I look in the bathroom, thought maybe he fell or something. And um, as the 911 operator, I come around the corner and see my son's lifeless body and my husband doing CPR on him. And that was an awful sight, seeing that, awful. And um, luckily, my husband's paramedic. He knew exactly what to do. He's yelling to the... 911 operator, what he needs. I need Narcan. I need somebody here fast. And da da da. But sadly for the attic, 
I mean, the Narcan they don't like because apparently it's painful bringing them out. But he doesn't even remember anything. And he acted when he was doing the heroin in the bathroom. And it was by the grace of God, truly by the grace of God. My husband happened to be getting ready to leave for work and looked around the corner and noticed the bathroom light on in my son's bathroom. And he went and found him unconscious on the floor. And he had apparently passed out. But the way he passed out, he curled up next to the wall. It was cutting off his oxygen. So he would have died then. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, God saved him that day. And of course, a big part of this is I could never have gotten through any of this about my faith. That is huge with this. But you also go through a lot of different things, had a lot of discussions with God, was very angry with him at times. And um, even though my faith is strong and you pray and you pray, God, please, please heal him from this addiction, take it away from him. And I'd watch him struggle because he'd do good for a while. He, you know, went off to rehab. He did great for a while. Then he didn't. And he went back to rehab. And then the second time he went back, they even there said, you know, this time he had a bigger attitude change and we see a big difference. And so we really thought he was doing, you know, really well. Um, When he came home, he was like, mom, I, I really can't stay here because, you know, too many people knew him and he knew, you know, where to get things. And he knew too many, you know, people that could take him in a bad direction. And he wanted to be in the ministry really bad. He wanted to help people. He he had a very strong faith. And he um, had met some guys. He went to Bible college for um, and, and then he met some guys there and they asked him to come to Dallas, Texas, and be a part of a ministry with him. And so he went and um He wanted to find a wife. Um, He didn't want to just, you know, date around anymore. And he was really solid. But one mistake that he did make, I think he got a little too confident in how good he was doing, that he didn't put in place an accountability partner. And so all these people that now know him, they didn't know him as the drug addict. They knew him as this strong, charismatic, confident guy so that was, you know, one thing we've learned that it is so important. Every every addiction place will tell you, you have to find an accountability partner. And he didn't do it. And that was one thing he didn't do. And we didn't, you know, really force it because, you know, I don't, you know, we didn't know either that it would have been so important for him. And so through his time there, um, he... He was working in the ministry. He was doing very well. He met a beautiful woman named Ariella, and she also wanted to, you know, do the same things that he was doing. And she didn't know him as a drug addict, but she just knew him then, but she knew about his past. And then um, she got pregnant before they got married. And he went and told the people that he was working in the ministry and they made him step down from his position. So again, he was full of shame and disappointment. I've screwed up. My mom's not going to be happy. I've, you know, embarrassed my family and da, da, da. 
which is really, if you don't mind me talking about God and my faith and everything. No, please do. I now Just I'm glad me, that you bring it up. Yeah. That is literally Satan throws that kind of stuff in your head. You're not worthy. You're not enough. You're, you know, he, cause God doesn't tell us that Satan is the author of lies and he's the one that tells you, you know, you're, you're bad and da da da. So he, he was really full of a lot of guilt and, um, but then she lost the baby and that even made him feel more guilty. It was like, oh, now God took the baby away. And I said, mm. John, you don't know that you don't, we don't understand why these things happen. Now the hospital gave her a 30 day supply of oxycodone. Why for a miscarriage? I don't know. And she knew he had a drug pass, but again, she didn't know him as a drug addict. And she had him sitting around the house. And then all of a sudden she knew they were gone. And it opened Pandora's box because he was full of guilt. And he started using again after being clean for two years, of which I've noticed a lot with addicts is they'll be clean. And then and then they go, you know, back. Well, he was very upset about it. And he I'll never forget one of the last phone calls I had with him. He was like, you know, why is this happening again? And and he was working on going back to to the rehab, but he had to get a they made him get a flu shot before he could go. And he was just struggled with guilt, constantly guilt. And um, no matter what I tried to tell him, because I said, because he go, mom, you don't know all the things I've done. And I said, but God does. God does know. He knew before you did him, he, he knows your whole future and you know that he has forgiven you. You've accepted him as your savior. You know, you're forgiven and he forgave you for everything you've done and everything you're going to do. And he knew that, but that battle in his head, his, the good and evil was so strong in his head that he, again, just wanted to medicate and drown it all out. And unfortunately he, um, Right before he was supposed to leave for rehab, he he overdosed and he died. Mm. I'm so sorry. It was the worst phone call I've ever had in my life. Jacqueline was over here at the house with a friend. I was sitting right here at this very desk that I'm sitting at now. And I saw a phone call from my daughter-in-law they did get married they've been married four months got a phone call from my daughter-in-law and I answered the phone and she was crying and I couldn't understand what she said at first and then she said John's dead and all I remember is screaming and I guess it was a blood-curdling type of scream because Jacqueline came flying in here my husband came flying out of the bedroom and her friend, and I just collapsed to the ground because I couldn't believe it. And um, it was, uh, your gut is just torn out. You can't breathe. You can't do anything. My poor, my youngest daughter was in high school. She comes home to find all this and she doesn't process her emotions real well. So it was really hard on her. It was hard on all of us because we couldn't believe it. It's a day you can't ever prepare for. No, no, because you just can't believe it's going to happen. I mm. mean, you know, because 
when I talk with other women who go through this, because people think that, you know, that was the, the, you know, I mean, it's the ultimate stress is losing them, but people don't realize when you're watching a child with addiction, it's years of stress. It's years of tears. It's years of begging and pleading and hoping that they can conquer this. And I remember talking to my pastor one time and I'm like, I'm so afraid he's going to die. And he goes, well, what if he does? That's not what I wanted him to say. Mm -hmm. And he goes, you know, it could happen. You don't have control over that. And like I said, I went through a time of being mad at God. It's like I prayed for years and years and years for you to take this away from him, to heal him. And then I so clearly heard he is healed now. He's not suffering anymore. He's at peace. He's happy. And um, but you still go through grief as a parent. And of course, anybody who goes through grief, all of a sudden you realize all those things you might say to people are really stupid, like they're in a better place or they're at peace or you know, they're healed now. Because as a parent, you don't you know that, but that's it's no, it's like, no, but they're supposed to be here, healed right. here with me. And I'm supposed to go first. And this isn't supposed to happen. And even though you know that, you don't want to hear that. So just for people who on and up and up, what somebody's grieving, what they want is just a hug. And there aren't any words. We tend to want to say something magical. And there isn't anything magical. There isn't. Right. Yeah. And, and my girlfriend who I uh, spoke with um, on a previous podcast, you can, um, I'll put it in the show notes uh, with Kim McNeil when we, you know, talked about grieving and the fact that, you know, if it's three days, three months, three years, 30 years, when people start, you know, she talks about how they seem to forget, you know, about, because she said that people just don't, talk about your son anymore or whatever, because it goes on and on. She said, but that, but that emptiness is still there. And so as you listen to her podcast, she, it was a beautiful discussion, but she said, you know, all we want is if someone just says, Hey, I was thinking about Ross today. Hey, I was thinking about Jonathan today. She said, that's a gift. Yeah. You no, know? I shared with her on that um, episode too, that a dog, um, I was out walking my dogs at night. It was dark. And this gal kind of spooked me because she was walking behind me. I didn't even hear until she was right on me. She's a kind of a friend of more of acquaintance, networking friend in the neighborhood. I hadn't seen her in years, but she kind of came up and, oh, how are you? And chatting. And she said, how is your daughter? She said, I pray. I pray for her all the time. I'm like, what? But that's an honor, you know, be them alive or gone to heaven. You know, when somebody mentions your child who has struggled and to just bring that memory is a beautiful gift. Like you Absolutely. said, there's no, you don't have to have magical, beautiful, oh, I wish, whatever. Just say, I was thinking about you. I was thinking about your son. I hope you're okay. I love you. Whatever yeah. it is. That's really all. Th those are the best gifts that we can give others. Because sometimes after you've lo lost someone, they're afraid to mention them because they don't want to make you cry, but it's okay to make me cry. I tell people, because I do love it when somebody say, Oh, I want to, you know, let's tell me a story about him. And yes, I might have tears flowing down my face, but, but I'm glad he's still remembered because you don't want them forgotten. And I, you know, and if his life can be an impact on anybody, 
else, um, then you want that to happen Mm -hmm. because, um, you know, addiction is horrible. My daughter-in-law did not handle his death. Well, here she is, you know, 24 years old. She's married four months. She's lost the husband. She's lost the baby. And she started drinking and drinking heavily. And um, she battled for eight years and we lost her April of 2020 to alcoholism. Mm. And as a young, beautiful person, and again, she struggled with the guilt. And um, and it's, you know, just when you yeah. talk about it in the notes that I took, you know, you talk about shame, you talk about guilt, you talk about these kids, as well as I, I think we all go through this, that perhaps we have a certain way that we want our life to be, or we have these ideas. And then somebody tells us that we can't, it doesn't work or we can't be that way. Or like you said, he, um, he loved football, but because he wasn't good enough in school, then he couldn't play football. Like it's all these kind of like conflicting things. I'm like, wait a minute. I just want to be a kid who plays football. I just want to be a mom who does this. I just want to be a whatever. And then somebody or something tells us that, oh, sorry, that's, you know, and they take that. I know enough with eating disorders and that addictive that it's, and I think similar in other addictions is you take that control away, like of what we want to, not that we have, again, when we talk about God, we don't have control over our lives, but when things like that happen and seemingly like somebody else is taking our control, wait a minute, taking our choices away, it doesn't feel right. And there's another gentleman and I don't, no, I have, I have posted his episode, but I, I remember when you talked about, like he started to, to do drugs and he couldn't really talk about, like he couldn't explain why it was so much better or why he enjoyed it. But this gentleman said the same thing, Justin, he's like, I don't know. I kind of struggled my whole life. And like, when I was doing drugs, like people liked me, I was, I was funny. And so you do the things so that you can be funny so that you can be accepted or you do the things to kind of numb that pain out yeah. that's coming from a society or a world or whatever that's telling you that you're really not enough. You're really, it's not really good enough. So, you know, you're not going to do those kind of, you can't do this or whatever. And it's hard to, even with a faith, it's hard to get through that shame, to get through that guilt, to forgive yourself, right? You know, we have a God who is wonderful and um, never leaves us. and you know, loves us regardless of our struggles. And yet it's still difficult for us to absolutely, you know, forgive ourselves. Know why, you know, why I, I am very grateful that Jonathan constantly told me, even when he give his testimony, different places, he constantly did tell me, mom, you never did anything wrong. You were always there for me. You always supported me. He goes, I'm just the kind of kid who had to try things myself. He goes, it was just me. And he so was, I mean, he was, when we, we had earned a trip with our company to New Zealand and um, we were at the famous place where they do bungee jumping. And he was like, I don't know, eight, 10 years old, somewhere in there. And he wanted to do it. I mean, we're talking, you go head first off this bridge into this rocky river and, um, and he would have done it. And I'm like, I don't think so. (laughs) Cause I would have had a heart attack watching you do it. But and, and you know how you had mentioned, like, some people drink or do things because they feel more comfortable in social things. 
now my my son definitely used things to medicate because I would tell him, I said, Jonathan, when you are not on drug, because he he could not believe how I always knew when he was on something. Always, always. It just freaked him out. Even if he had taken a little something, I knew. And I said, because when you are not on drugs, you are very articulate. You are very charming. And when you take drugs, you are annoying and you repeat yourself and you act stupid and you say the same and you babble and um you know, he was kind of quite offended by that because they don't know, they don't see. And I wish I had recorded him at times, you know, because I don't think the person that's doing certain behaviors even know how, how they look or act. Mm -hmm. That's, that's, yeah, I've, yeah, I, I agree with that as I've, um, even, you know, with my daughter and other people that I, that have been, you know, around and stuff like that. I don't think they do realize until after the fact or after you bring it up or things like that. I mean, sometimes again, I know with eating disorders and OCD, it's such a secretive, like, so like encapsulated, like they're in their own little world and so they don't see how they look to others. And they're so focused on whatever they're doing, you know, if it's self-medicating, if it's their OCD, patterns and things or the restricting or the calorie counting or the steps or whatever it is, there's, that's so encompassing. And Mm -hmm. so it's, it has this just narrow type of vision, I believe for them. And so they, they're not even able to see how, what they're doing impacts. Yeah. Like takes over their brain. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, I think all of this is kind it's a brain disease and it just takes over and it's, it's very difficult and it's, it's hard to watch someone you love struggling because you with your daughter, what, you know, when, with an eating disorder, it's deadly. A drug order is deadly. And you feel as a parent, there were so many times I felt as a parent that I was throwing him a lifeline and he would throw back at me and I'd be like, no, 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 no. Take it. You know, you need help. And, Mm -hmm. but it's hard as a parent to be on the sideline, but one day I even had him again in this very office because his addiction was killing me. It literally was killing me spiritually, emotionally, physically, in every way possible. It was killing me, the worrying and this, you know, waiting to hear him come home at night. And one night I told him, I said, you know, John, I love you so much, but I can't worry about you anymore. I have to let you go. And whatever happens, happens. And I have to let you go. And I think it scared him a little bit because that was the first time I saw him cry about this. And um, I said, I love you so much, but you're you're literally killing me Mm -hmm. too. Yeah. Well, and that's, and I understand that that is a big, that's a brave thing to do. And yet that's a message I hope people hear is that we do have to, as difficult as we have to let him go. I mean, I've walked outside and I looked up and I said, and not just with my daughter. I just look up and said, you take them, you take her. Like, I can't do it anymore. I can't, like you said, I can't worry anymore. I can't try any harder. I can't, you know, yell at him anymore or be nice to him anymore. It's like, you just can't. And that's all we want to do as mothers and fathers. We just want to fix it. Like we see things that they don't see. And we know that, come on, just do this. And I've been to enough support groups which I don't know how some people, like I remember one gal, she said, yeah, my sister, I haven't talked to her, I don't know, probably in eight years. I think she's living on the streets in LA. 
Like, I don't know, like that's a hard thing to do. But, you know, I also told my daughter one day she couldn't come home when she was kicked out of another treatment program. I said, go find another place to live. I said, you're not done with treatment. So go find another treatment program. I mean, it's a hard decision to make a hard statement to make. And yet I knew I couldn't allow. I, and, you know, then they throw the guilt at you. Oh, you, I'm not allowed in your house. I'm like, it's you're allowed in my house. I love you. I'll never quit loving you. Your addiction and your sh- is not welcome in my home anymore. And yeah. I and but they don't see, you know, they don't see that. They just want to come home. I mean, come on. Did you see you probably saw that movie, Beautiful Boy, right? with um and Steve Carell and the son called home and said I just I want to come home I need to recover around my family and I love all of them blah, blah, blah. and I I don't really care for Steve Carell now I have a lot of respect for him after I watched that movie um uh, because I just don't like the office but um show but um you know but he I remember him like you st- he was on the phone and he said call your sponsor I love you goodbye I mean it's a very difficult position to be in as a parent or you know and it's it's and it's what's required at times is just letting letting go and then taking care of yourself. And I, you know, I hope that that's what you're doing. We were going to talk a little bit about self-care and what you do, um, because I felt like when you were saying that, I'm like, that's what was happening to me. You know, my health was being impacted, my sleep, my mental health, my physical health. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, some girlfriend said, Um, you got to start taking care of yourself. Like, come with me on a retreat, come with me to this, you know, meditation, come with me, you know, and thank God they did, because that was the start of the journey back to me and Mm -hmm. reclaiming myself and my health. And um, how have you found that along the way, taking care of yourself? Well, I mean, it's a process because first you go way downhill. And I know for at least 10 months to almost a year, I just totally shut down. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to go anywhere. If I wasn't for the fact that I had a dog, I probably wouldn't have even gone outside. And then I have, you know, my youngest daughter still in high school and she came home from school one day and I don't even know what she said, but she found me in the same place I was when she left her school. You know, me and Ben and Jerry's and chips were just having a gay old time. And I, all of a sudden, just said, I I can't do this anymore. I have two living children and I know my son's okay. And he also, he loved life. He enjoyed life. He would be devastated to see me like this and, and not living. I'm alive, but I'm not living. And so, but that's a process you have to work through. But I decided, you know what? I'm gonna live my life to honor my son. And I'm going to get back out there. And he loved people, loved people. I have to reconnect again with people. Um, Because as you know, too, in a business like ours, there's a lot of emotion you have to put into it because you're, you know, revving people up. Well, I didn't have any revving to rev. But I found as I reconnected with them, just being with people, they helped fill you back up where you felt so empty. Mm -hmm. And you didn't think, oh, I'm not going to be able to help fill somebody else up. But you know what? They helped fill me back up. Mm-hmm. And um, so that was a, a big healing process. And to know that I just, I need to honor him by living. Mm-hmm. I've even gotten a teeny bit more daring since he died. with Because like I said, he was afraid of nothing. So I've ziplined a few times, even rappelled down into a cave. 
and things that I would have probably not normally done. And he would have done in a heartbeat upside down, you know, hanging with one arm. I mean, and again, without my faith and knowing, I know the second that boy was in heaven, he knew everybody was having a blast and he is healed. He is healed. He is whole. And he wants us to live the best life we can until it's time for us to be united again. Mm. He would have been devastated to know his wife struggled so much. And I kept telling her that I said, John would want you to be happy. He doesn't want you to feel guilty. He wants you to be happy and to live your life, but a guilt, guilt's an awful thing. So you have to let it go. And then sadly, God keeps bringing me people that lose their child. And I've had, you know, a few people I know that were friends of Jonathan has died of overdoses in the last few years. And I'm the first person those moms call and I'm glad I can be there for them, but it does break my heart that addiction is so deadly. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. I had a gal call me yesterday. She reached out this weekend and said, can I, I feel like I'm supposed to call you because of some things with my kids. Now it was different than my daughter. It was just about other things that her kids are struggling with. And she said, I think you've been through the same thing. Is it okay for me to call you? Yeah, it breaks my heart. I mean, I, but I'm, but I said, you can call me anytime. Yeah. I mean, I don't, please do. I had another gal in my neighborhood who happens to be um, a customer of mine. And um, she reached out, you know, about a year ago or something like that. And her daughter had just got home from the dietitian and she'd been purging. It's like, I just get so mad. Same thing. You know, yeah. you're just so angry. Like, why do these things continue to happen? And yet that's part of the reason of this podcast. These are difficult conversations, but there are so many people that go through it. And if I can be, if I can help one person yes. feel like they're not alone and that there is some hope or, you know, regardless, you know, regardless, then it's a good day. You know, mm -hmm. we can't, I struggle with the same things. Like why these things happen and why can't they be healed? And, and why do we have these struggles? And yet I know with my faith that God doesn't always reveal those things to us. You know, it's his plan, not our plan. Yeah. And um, it's not always what I like <laughs> so, um, recovering yeah. codependent and yeah. control freak and all that. I want yeah, free have will was not my favorite thing for a while. I'm like, <laughs> I don't like this free will stuff, you know, because I mean, he had his own choices, but I know, you know, that we can't because we see such a small window of the world and God sees the overall big picture. And, um, and I know the song, I can only imagine, I don't know if you've ever listened to that mm -hmm. song, but sure. I can only imagine every time I hear it, it makes me cry because I think my son doesn't imagine. He knows, mm -hmm. he knows how amazing heaven is. And he now can see the big picture too, because, you know, and know that his little struggle was for God's ultimate glory somehow, some way. Mm. And if, if like, like you, if I can help somebody, you know, that has to travel this awful road that I don't wish on anyone, but it happens, mm -hmm. um, then I will be there to honor my son and to be there by their side as they go through these struggles, mm -hmm. but they don't struggle anymore. And you have to deal even with the guilt of I'm sleeping good at night because I'm not worried, but I feel guilty because I'm not worrying anymore. Yeah. Right. Because even like when he was in rehab, it's like, oh, 
I know he's safe somewhere and I can sleep. And then as soon as he gets out, instead of enjoying those precious moments, I'm waiting for the shoe to drop. So, I mean, my thing is enjoy every moment, love every moment, realize there's nothing you can do. We don't have control. And it's hard because as mommies, we controlled everything. And we're, especially for our mother, I think this is hard when we see our child addict with addiction, because if we don't feed them when they're little, they won't make it. We have to close them and house them and, and tell them not to cross the street and take them to school. And then all of a sudden we're supposed to say, Ta-da! I can't help you anymore. Right. And it's hard. It's yeah. hard to just let it go. And especially when we watch them going into danger and. Yeah. I mean, not listening. yeah, well, and that's the thing. It's like, and, you know, that's what we're supposed to do, right? Is we're supposed to train them up just like our, with our business teams, right? We're supposed to train them so that they're independent and they really don't need us anymore. And that's a very difficult thing as a mother, even when around this is the time that kids are going off to college, right? And so, you know, when all of a sudden the nest is empty and the kids are gone and you're like, wait a minute, my kids don't need me anymore. Like what, you know, where is my self-worth? Where is my, um, where is my purpose? in life. You know, that's what I was doing is raising my kids and things like that. And, um, but I have said it before too, on this, that it's like, sometimes we do, we feel guilty. Like we don't like, because others are struggling, like we shouldn't be happy. We shouldn't be joyful. Like, who am I to be happy? If my daughter, if my daughter's still struggling, who am I to be happy? If my son is gone, like, and yet I love what you said. Like if they could or who am I? You know, my mother died at the beginning of the year. As much as I had an interesting relationship with her and all that, I still miss her. Like I miss her more now. And I wish I, I have some, you know, regrets of how I, but, but you know what I do? I think about her, you know, I think about her and then you just hold that memory of them because they wouldn't want, like you said, they wouldn't want you to be not happy and not living life. You have the ability to go out there and make choices and live life and have an impact and be happy and things like that. And they wouldn't want us to be not doing that. No, because we have a family, you know, we, we all have other people, you know, in our lives. And um, yeah, so we have to, we have to get out there and live. And something you were saying too, as a parent, we also feel guilt because why is my kid have a drug problem? I didn't raise them that way. Or why is my, what did I do wrong to mm-hmm. cause them to, you know, and, and we put a lot of guilt on ourselves. We obviously did something wrong because so-and-so down the block, they don't even barely watch their kid and their kids right. graduating right. Cum Laude and, you know, <laughs> I was always involved. I was president of the PTA, for <laughs> you know, and, um, and free will, free will. Mm-hmm. We right. just don't know. And sometimes people hide a lot of secrets and, and, t- but when you're open, and I'm sure you've noted, you know, found that out when you are open with sharing your life. Like your life is not perfect. Things have gone wrong. People come and they talk to you. Almost everybody I meet has had a family member with a serious addiction problem. Almost every single person I've met. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They keep it secret until they know, you know. That it's yeah. okay to share. Right. And I think, again, as we wrap this up, I think that's a really important message to say is to not be not be afraid of your story or your child's story or whatever, because again, being able to be open and authentic is so important, not only to you, um, but also to those around, because it is, there are so, so many people that struggle. I don't know what the statistics are, but so many do. And especially even more so now what that we've been locked up 
for the last, you know, so many months, people um, are struggling. And so just being open and um, being there for somebody to say, hey, I'm here to to talk or go for a walk or I understand is really yeah. some of the best things that we that we can do. Yes, yeah. there is hope. Your life can continue to to move on mm-hmm. and it should to honor should. those people. And it should. Right. it should. And as I spoke with someone else on this podcast, you know, when we grieve a lot, it's mean that it means that we loved a lot. And so that's just the truth of the matter is when we're really sad, it's because, you know, we really love that, that person in their life. And so that there's, that's a process that we, you know, go through, but then need to go on. Um, I know this wasn't easy for you, but I really appreciate you being, you know, open and honest with us today and authentic. And um, any last words that you'd like to, to share as we wrap up? Um, just for anybody out there who is struggling, um, and especially if anybody's lost a child to addiction, I am here for them to talk to them, but don't stop living, keep going, keep moving stress. Literally, I knew stress affected your health, but that was the first time I literally physically felt it taking in a way I could feel myself physically dying inside. So you have to take care of yourself. You have to, because you have other people that love you that are here. And while you're alive, you need to be alive and in the moment and, and live your life and, and be connected and honor them. Yeah. And if anybody listening needs help with that again, I've, I've same thing. I called my nutrition support when I was going through it and said, what do I need to do specifically to help with this stress? Same thing. It just, it really has an impact. So if anybody listening, you know, needs help with that, don't be afraid to reach out to either one of us. You'll have Anna Wanda's contact info in the show notes too, because there are, you know, there's places for medications and there's also places for natural things, be it supplementation, as well as, you know, morning routines and meditation and prayer and journaling and things like that, that can be so helpful in getting through these, these times. Yeah. So um, thank you for being here. Um, you. you know, thank you for sharing the story and to honor Jonathan. Um, I'm glad to hear the whole story now, cause I've just heard bits of it and um, albeit not the best, but um, <clears throat> again, an important story. Ultimately God will be glorified right. through this. Right. Yep, absolutely. And he is healed. He is healed. He is healed. Right. Yeah. There isn't any more suffering no, there no for your suffering. daughter-in-law or for Jonathan. So they're together and, again. Yeah. With their baby. Right. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. Uh come back next time. Um, continue to share these. There are people that are struggling and that need some hope. So please continue to share the podcast, write a beautiful review, um, uh, pick up a journal that you'll um if you need some journaling time, and um, we'll talk to you next time.